Anton Augustin Permentier was born to a middle-class family of modest means in France. Like many men in France during the 18th century, Anton served with the army during the Seven Years' War, which was a war between the great powers of Europe over territorial disputes both on the continent and for colonial possessions. This description can be applied to about 90% of European wars, by the way. He was a pharmacist, essentially a medical officer for the French army, something which he likely regretted. At some point during the Seven Years' War, Anton was captured by the Prussian army. During his imprisonment with the Prussians, Anton was fed almost solely on a diet of potatoes. Now, I don't know what happened in that dark Prussian prison. Maybe Anton ate too many potatoes, so he became a potato-powered superhero. Or maybe he developed a relationship with a potato, as they were his only social contact during his time with the Prussians. I mean, I'm not saying that Anton made love with his potatoes, but if there was anyone in history who did, it'd be this guy. Once the Seven Years' War was over, Anton was released by the Prussians, and he was determined to begin a crusade in the name of his beloved potatoes. You see, despite being introduced to Europe for a couple of centuries now, France was not keen on the potato. In fact, potatoes were banned in France in 1748 due to fears that they caused leprosy and disease. The uh, scientific advice for this, according to the French, was that because potatoes grew underground, they could not be trusted. Even starving peasants avoided the food. The only use potatoes had was to feed pigs with them in France. You can only imagine how much this devastated Anton and his newly found love of potatoes when he returned to France. You see, he'd lived off nothing but potatoes and had no adverse effects, except from an unusual obsession with the spuds. In order to convince the French public that potatoes were both healthy and delicious, he began a marketing campaign that put the most insane modern PR to shame. For starters, Anton had chosen a good time to take up the cause. France was going through a famine. He started proposing potatoes as an alternative to flour-based foods. First things first, Anton had to convince the elite of France that potatoes were not disease-ridden vegetables that could make your arm fall off from leprosy. He held dinner parties for famous guests such as Benjamin Franklin, where every dish that was served was centred around potatoes. He even presented King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette with bouquets of potato flowers. And yes, this is the couple who lose their heads in the French Revolution later on. This apparently led to Marie Antoinette wearing the flowers in her hat. Clearly it shouldn't have been let them eat cake, but let them eat potatoes. And yes, I know that that quote is a myth. Well, Anton's hobnobbing with the powerful of France was pretty successful. The Paris Faculty of Medicine declared that potatoes were edible, and the ban on them was repealed. The problem was that most of France's population wasn't the educated elite, but suspicious peasants. We're talking about a bunch of people that asked the Royal Army to help hunt a wolf-dog hybrid monster that was killing locals in the south of France between 1764 and 67. These guys weren't just a little stitious, they were superstitious. Anton decided that publicity stunts weren't working, so he needed to do something a bit more duplicitous. King Louis had given him a large patch of land in 1781, which, surprise surprise, Anton used to grow potatoes. However, Anton rather shrewdly placed guards around the potato farm in order to trick people into thinking that his potatoes were very valuable. 
These guards were all just for show, though. They had orders to let thieves who stole potatoes get away. Anton hoped that these thieves would popularise the potato. He even let guards accept bribes of any size, turn the other way for thefts. This worked a little towards getting the potato a little more noticed by the population of France. But not fully. It would be the French Revolution that really made potatoes hot stuff, when it was adopted as the food for revolutionaries. But more on that another time. There are many dishes named after Anton, though, all using his last name of Parmentier, and all very complex for a hopeless Englishman to pronounce in pidgin French. And whilst it was the revolution that really helped the potato take off in France, Anton's legacy is laying the groundwork for its popularisation. You can visit Anton Parmentier's grave in Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris today. He was buried there after he died in December 1813, surrounded by potato plants. Because of course he was. Hi, my name's Tom, and this is A Bite of History. Episode 3, Humble Beginnings. In the history of food, there are some foods which really stand out of the crowd when it comes to the impact they have made on human civilization. We're talking top-tier food staples that have essentially fueled human history. These heavy hitters deserve episodes of their own. In fact, some of them might even be two-parters. And when it comes to heavy hitters, this particular food was a relative latecomer. So, without further ado, let's talk about the history of potatoes. As Andrew Smith explains in his book, A Global History, potatoes have a real rags-to-riches story. The potato was practically an unknown vegetable to most of the world until the mid-16th century when Europeans brought it back from South America. Today, the potato is the sixth most produced crop globally, with 368 million tonnes being grown around the world every year. Perhaps this is why the potato is frequently described as humble in a lot of media. Certainly, many people have referred to the humble potato in their writings, but few actually explain why it is such a humble food. But then I guess it wouldn't be very modest to explain why something is humble. I guess it has something to do with how easy they are to grow, how people can take them for granted, and their relative cheapness compared to other foods. Or maybe it has something to do with the versatility of potatoes. There are literally hundreds of recipes with this as a central ingredient. You've got roast potatoes, you've got jacket potatoes, you've got French fries, chips, you've got alu gobi, you've got Bombay potatoes, you've got potato dauphinois, Anyway, whilst he goes off on one, shall we start the history of the humble potato in its most logical place? The beginning. Like the base form of every food, potatoes started off as a wild plant growing in Central and South America, with some total of 235 different species. The first human interactions with the potato would have begun around 14,000 years ago, when the hunter-gatherers first foraged the vegetable. It's theorised that potatoes were domesticated around 10,000 BC by Andean farmers. 
The Andes Mountains don't have a lot of fertile soil or flat lands, so the Andean farmers had to create terraces on mountainsides to grow crops. One of the most important of these crops was the Solum tuberosum, the common potato. And damn, these pre-Columbian civilizations had really discovered a winner. Potatoes thrive in high altitudes in arid climate, which was perfect for the Andean biome. They have a short growing season, taking between 70 to 120 days. They're super easy to cultivate and harvest. I can attest to this myself. You just stick a spud in the soil, water it a bit if it doesn't rain, and then once it's flowered and the plants have died, you pull them out of the ground. In terms of difficulty, they're down there with the crush you grew on cotton wool during your first few years at school. Potatoes also have a pretty high yield. One plant on average grows around... 2 kilos of spuds, that's about 4.4 pounds if you're still stuck in last century's measurements. And nutritionally, potatoes aren't too shabby either. An average potato contains 110 calories, high amounts of potassium, vitamin C, iron and zinc. Plus if you eat the skin they're a good source of fibre too. It's no surprise that once the Incans emerged in 1200 AD, forming a small kingdom and absorbing the local Andean civilization, that they adopted the potato. Paparillana. Hey Tom. Yeah? That probably stopped being funny about a minute ago, and we get the point, you know, there's a lot of dishes that contain potatoes, so could, could you stop now? Oh, yeah, sure, sorry. Anyway, over time, the Incan Kingdom became the Incan Empire, and by the 1400s, it stretched from modern-day Chile to Colombia on the western side of the Andes. This saw the importance of the potato as a staple food increase, as it reached the 9 to 15 million people of the empire. Unfortunately for the Incans, they only had about a century to enjoy their empire before Italian explorer Christopher Columbus, air quotes, discovered America. Even though hunter-gatherers crossed the Bering Straits between Russia and North America about 12,500 years before, and let's not forget the Vikings visiting Greenland and Canada about 500 years before as well, which is why you won't find Columbus in the Guinness Book of Records. Yeah, I'm more of a Marco Polo fan when it comes to Italian explorers. Anyway, after Columbus found America in 1492, the Spanish didn't waste any time. They conquered Mexico and destroyed the Aztecs by 1519, before sending their first attempted expeditions into Peru by 1522. On the hunt for Incan riches such as gold and jewels, the Spanish essentially conquered Peru by 1532, although the Incas would be around in some form or another for a few years after. The Spanish quest for riches may have been for gold and all the usual things you'd expect, but they discovered a treasure in Peru that would change the course of history. The potato. Most of the limited accounts of the first Spanish encounters with potatoes show a begrudging reluctance to eating the potato after seeing natives consuming it. But after some time, the Spanish were impressed by the easiness of farming potatoes and how long they could last in storage. This led to their usage for food stocks on Spanish ships, where the large amounts of vitamin C in potatoes would have been handy fending off scurvy. Of course, if potatoes were being taken on board ships, then it wouldn't be long before they ventured into European ports, and for the first time in history, the potato left the Americas. The potato didn't see much success in Spain or some other European countries, the farmers found it difficult to grow. The Andean variety of potato just wasn't that well suited to European climates. 
In the equatorial regions of Peru, the potato had a nice consistent 12 hours of sunlight throughout the year. Europe, however, had pretty variable daylight dependent on the season. Long summer days confused potato plants, which was a problem because they favoured the warmer months. Instead, the spuds tended to grow in the autumn, which would be fine if it wasn't too close to winter where the potatoes would freeze. The potato was proving a bit of a Goldilocks for Spanish farmers. They couldn't get the conditions just right. And so, the potato continued in Europe for the next few decades. It looked like the vegetable would be a failed experiment. But we know this isn't the case. Hell, McDonald's have created a modern-day empire based off their potato fries. So what happened to change the potato's fortune? Well, Ireland happened. You see, Ireland was the perfect place for the potato to grow. Well, outside of South America anyway. Autumn in Ireland was frost-free compared to the rest of Europe, and the vegetable was able to adapt far better to the climate. And this is why Irish people have to put up with potato jokes. What's more difficult to answer is who introduced the potato to Ireland. Our first candidate is potentially the person you immediately thought of when it comes to introducing potatoes to the British Isles, Sir Walter Raleigh. Raleigh is often credited for introducing tobacco and potatoes to Britain. Hmm, smoking and fries. He did wonders for the nation's health. I've seen plenty of sources claiming that Raleigh planted potatoes on his 40,000 acres of land near Cork in Ireland. Furthermore, there's an entertaining tale involving potatoes, Queen Elizabeth I and Raleigh. The story goes that Sir Walter presented the Queen with potatoes as a gift from his voyages to America. Elizabeth, being excited to have such an exotic food in her larder, decided to host a feast. The problem is that Elizabeth's cooks had never handled a potato before, and Raleigh hadn't left her instructions on how to prep and cook them, apparently. So the cooks chucked away the weird lumpy tuber parts of the potato plant and took the stems and leaves, before boiling them to serve to Elizabeth and her guests. Unfortunately, the stems and leaves of the potato plant are poisonous, so Elizabeth and her guests got pretty ill and vomited all over themselves at the feast. It's fair to say that Raleigh was not in Elizabeth's good books after this, so he was banned from court for a couple of months. A funny tale, but that's just it. The story is quite likely to be fictional. History is often full of myths about famous figures, as it makes the past seem a lot more like a good book rather than a factual recounting. Raleigh's claim to introducing the potato to Britain and Ireland are equally unlikely. You see, the story of Sir Walter planting potatoes in his Irish holdings doesn't hold up. Our sources claim he brought the spuds back from Virginia. Those of you out there who know about Raleigh's career know that he was an explorer that primarily focused on creating colonies in North America. Which, if you were paying any attention to this podcast recounting of the origins of the potato, should raise an issue with this claim. The potato comes from South America in the Andes, around Bolivia and Peru, not Virginia. In his later adventures, Raleigh did voyage around South America, and he did come across a potato in modern-day Venezuela. But this would have been the sweet potato, not the Solunum tuberosum, the common potato that would be grown in Ireland. In my opinion, Raleigh was a bit of a blowhard. He could talk the talk, but never walk the walk. His impact on history is small, but his charm and personality has guaranteed him a chapter in the history books. It's no surprise to me that James I eventually executed him, since he never managed to follow up successfully on any of his fanciful ideas. Setting aside my character assassination of Sir Walter, 
Let's take another look at another British naval hero that is considered to have possibly introduced the potato to Ireland. And this English naval explorer is Sir Francis Drake. And yes, the English are very keen to take credit for introducing the potato to Ireland. Which is probably no surprise to any Irish listeners. Anyway, Drake has more evidence to back up his claim to bring over the potato. However, the only chance that we can find to have brought it to Ireland would have been raiding it from Spanish cargo ships before suppressing a rebellion in Ireland in 1575. But this would have, one, required Drake to have captured the potato over a much more valuable cargo from the Spanish, and two, seems pretty unlikely since the potato had only been recently introduced to Spain at the time. We do know that unlike Raleigh, Drake actually came into contact with the right species of the common potato in 1578, when he traded for them with some natives from the island of Mocha, off the coast of Chile. But Drake did not return to Europe until 1780, which would mean the tubers would have had to have survived two years on a ship, which is possible as potatoes are hardy. During these two years, Drake manages to circumnavigate the globe. When he finally made it back to England, his ship docked at Deptford on the Thames Estuary, and Queen Elizabeth honoured him by dining on the ship. You would think that Drake would have been keen to show off the potato to Lizzie, especially since she was about to knight him. But records of the menu for the meal do not show anything about potatoes. So did they survive the journey around the globe? Without evidence that Drake definitely had potatoes at a time when we can prove he was in Ireland, it is ultimately impossible to prove. There are other English explorers out there who had plenty of opportunities to bring potatoes to the British Isles, such as Sir Thomas Cavendish in 1787, when he stopped at St Mary Island off of the coast of southern Chile, whilst he led the third circumnavigation of the globe. But once again, whilst we know he came across potatoes, we have no proof of him returning them to Britain. But we could be barking up the completely wrong tree. Perhaps the English had nothing to do with the introduction of the potato to Ireland. In its early history, the potato was called, and I apologise for my probably poor pronunciation, an Spanach, meaning the white Spaniard in Gaelic, which could suggest that it might have been the Spanish who brought it to Ireland. I have certainly read myths of Spanish galleons containing a cargo of potatoes sinking off the coast of Ireland and locals recovering the tuba from the subsequent shipwrecks. It is equally plausible for Irish traders to have obtained potatoes from Spain via France, but once again, there is no historical evidence to prove this. So, who introduced a potato to Ireland remains a mystery. However, we can state quite confidently that it had nothing to do with Sir Walter Raleigh. This remains a myth which even some historians mistakenly believe today. I suppose it doesn't really matter to us who had the bright idea to grow potatoes in Ireland, but whoever it was certainly changed history. The potato flourished in Ireland, slowly becoming a staple for the country by the 1800s. This was handy because most rural Irish farmers were stuck renting land from local lords. This meant trying to produce the biggest yields possible for the smallest amounts of land. And boy, the potato was up to the task. A family of six could have a nutritionally sufficient diet based off of one acre of land cultivated with potatoes and just one cow for milking. Anything else that the family grew was extra, which could be sold. It's unsurprising that between 1780 and 1841 the population of Ireland doubled from 4 million to 8 million. 
Ireland became the staging ground for the potatoes invasion of Europe. It gave farmers time to weed out the varieties of tubers which were more resistant to European climates. It first moved to the Low Countries, such as the Netherlands and Belgium, in 1650, then to Germany, Prussia and Poland in the 1740s, finally Russia a century later. If you recall at the beginning of the episode, we spoke of Parmentier and his fight to convince the French that potatoes were acceptable for our consumption. Well, it wasn't just France where the potato had an image problem. All across Europe, people were unsure of the vegetable. It was ugly, grew in the ground, and it came from an uncivilised bunch of barbarian cultures from the New World. Surely it was not fit for consumption. It was the superstitious lower classes which in particular rejected the idea of eating potatoes. Meanwhile, the upper classes began to see the potential benefits of a very high-yield crop. It has been said that Frederick the Great of Prussia saw the benefits of potatoes for his subjects, and began trying to overcome the prejudice towards the crop. In Britain, the Royal Society recommended the cultivation of potatoes to the government, but it had little impact. Catherine the Great ordered Russia's serfs to begin growing spuds across the country, but many just ignored the order since there weren't really any consequences for not planting tubers. In the end, it really wasn't the efforts of the upper classes that convinced people across Europe to start consuming potatoes. It was necessity. When your option is eating a potato or starving, you eat the goddamn potato. Necessity, as they say, is the mother of invention. Hmm, that's probably a pound for the historical cliché jar. The thing is, Europe as a continent had long been struggling to feed itself for centuries. Take France as an example. It could only just about produce enough grain to feed itself every year. But if anything went wrong, the country found itself in a sticky situation. It has been estimated that the country had 40 nationwide famines between the 16th and 19th centuries. That's more than one per decade. And that's not even taking into account local famines. Similarly, stories can be found across Europe. It's been said that your average European peasant prior to the 1800s ate less per day than the hunter-gatherer societies based in the Amazon and Africa. I mean, what's the point in creating a complex civilization if you're not even eating as well as less advanced cultures? The increasing popularity of potatoes was a finally an answer to this perpetual famine. In Britain, a typical diet consisted of meat, which would be complemented by bread, butter and cheese. Vegetables and all their nutritional goodness was largely ignored until the potato became popular, that is. This all coincided with the upcoming urbanisation of Britain and the Industrial Revolution. As the rural lower class flocked to the cities for industrial jobs, they struggled to afford urban homes with things like cookers or kitchens. Throw in the fact that people were working 12 to 16 hour days, six days a week, and that made preparing a good meal difficult. Potatoes became an easy answer to this dilemma. Vendors across cities could cook and sell potatoes en masse to the working class. It was interestingly, at this time, that fish and chips sold in paper horns became a thing in British cities. Most historians now identify the popularisation of the potato as the cause for a population boom across the globe. In 1000 AD, the population of the planet was around 300 million people, but by 1900 it had risen to 1.6 billion. If you look at graphs of the human population for the planet over the last thousand years, you will see a sharp uptick around the 1750s, and a rapid increase up until the modern period. As both statisticians and climate change deniers often point out, 
correlation and causation are not the same thing. Just because potatoes and a population increase occur at similar times, that doesn't mean they relate. But studies are proving this really does seem to be the case. At least partly, anyway. Evidence includes the fact that introduction of potatoes coincides with the growth of many cities, and French military records logging the fact that soldiers who had potatoes as a major part of their diet in the 1800s were in fact taller in comparison to their 1700 counterparts who wouldn't have eaten potatoes. One study believes that potato is responsible for about 25-26% to of the population growth in the old world between 1700 and 1900. In short, that could mean somewhere up to 250 million additional lives could be sustained because of the potato. Whilst the potato cannot take all the credit for the major increase in the population around the world, it can certainly claim to be the very first step in this food revolution. By the end of the 18th century, potatoes have become a staple in the modern European diet. In Ireland, 40% of the population ate no solid foods other than potatoes, and estimates for the Netherlands, Belgium, Prussia and Poland sit between 10-30%. to 30%. As impressive as this is, Reliance on one crop has its disadvantages, but that's a story for another day. For now, I will wish you a very Merry Christmas and hopefully a more prosperous year in 2021. See you again in the new year for part two of the history of the potato, where we will explore the potato famine, the introduction of the potato outside of Europe, and discuss more recent trends for the vegetable. Patatas bravas, patanik, pet aus pommes de terre, pati, pella, picard, pit pult, pommes anna, pommes delphinois, pommes saladaise, pommes soufflées, potato babka, potato bread, potato cake, potato chips, potato donuts, potato filling, potato pancakes, potato salad, potato scone, potato skins, Potato Waffle, Potato Wedges, Potatoes O'Brien, Potato Donic, Poutine, Poutine Rapi, Raciclette, Rag de Patisse, Rappi Pie, Raspol, Ribkuchin, Rewena Bread, Rosties, Rumbledy Thumps, Salacha Papa, Salt Potatoes, Samosas, Scotch Pies, Salesian Dumplings, Scomadolada, Slaps, Spanish omelette, spice bag, stamp pot, stargazy pie, steak fritz, steak flask, stomp, stovies, sweet and potato casserole, sweet potato chips, salazlot, tartiflette, tashminjab, tater tots, tombette, trinxat, truffade, batavada, wulton pie, exorgo momi, and zipuli.